What I want to share today actually was a bit of a follow-on from last week. And uh, last week I prepared two messages. I was actually ready to, to do a different message in each service, but I felt after the first service everyone probably needed to hear the same thing first. So this is a little bit of a follow-on from last week. If you weren't here with us last week, I... I um, uh, you know, I sort of got a little bit challenging about the way that we tend to burn our bridges with people that we're called to reach sometimes. But in our, in our desperation to, um, you know, to, to be right sometimes, to, in our fear that maybe God has lost his grip on the world and we have to write it on his behalf sometimes, all sorts of reasons. But uh, in our clumsy attempts sometimes to communicate timeless truth, sometimes we burn bridges that, that, uh, to people that that timeless truth is there for. And, uh, and so that's a bit crazy. So I want to follow that up uh, this week. And of course, we've, um, this year we've been better together has been our whole theme over the year. And the whole thought of uh, community versus individualism. We, we live in a society that promotes uh, individualism and standing alone and being self-made, that kind of thing. And yet really that is counter-cultural to scripture, which is all about community. Uh, if you haven't noticed, we're all in this together. If you just think about the planet, you know, like what one person does affects everyone. So we are all in this together. It's just that sometimes we fail to realise that. Um, and so there is, you know, fragmentation in our society, in our community. We all know the pain of that. We all know the pain of not being invited to the party at some point, not being picked for the team at some point, not being invited to the workshop huddle or, you know, whatever you could. We all know what it feels like to be on the outer yeah. Yeah. at some point. Um, and there's lots of social comment out there at the moment. Of course, last week I sort of spoke into the Israel Falal debate, or you'd probably call it a debacle on so many levels. Um, and there's so many things being you know, pushed around at the moment and immigration, refugees, asylum seekers. Uh, we just came through the same-sex marriage debate. And I don't want to look at any of that other than to, to say, to use that as an illustration, uh, that all those things, when we make powerful comment like that and, and battle lines are drawn, all of those things polarise people. All of those things, and, and look, I'm not saying that some things are right, some things are wrong, and, and arguments need to be made. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the fact is, the fact is, whether it's right or wrong, it polarises people. It, it, it forces loyalties. It forces people to, uh, to divide along, their along different lines, whatever that is, whether that's moral, whether that's you know, some sort of philosophical shift. Uh, and the bottom line is a lot of it's emotive. And if you're not careful, you let your feelings and the feelings of others direct your responses rather than scripture and the spirit of God in you. It is so easy to be pushed out of shape by your own feelings or by groupthink or, or the feeling of the crowd. Uh, I'd take, for example, and, and I recognise this in me. That's why I think I can speak about it. I'm well qualified. I know exactly what it is to respond badly, poorly, 
by my own feelings. I, I think back just recently to the to the bombings in Sri Lanka, and um, and I was uh, on a break, on an extended break, when I got that news. And, uh, and after probably two days after the initial news, and I'd only been in Sri Lanka, uh, in one of the towns that was bombed, not in that church, but that pastor, uh, we worked with some of the people, and, uh, and some, one of them is a very close colleague of Matt and Michael and I, we all know, know him very well and his family, blown up. And um, uh, I've got to admit, I went from being on a wonderful break in the Italian countryside to wanting to kill someone or something. To retaliate, to, you know, when you feel so powerless, so angry, so maddened, and and just wanting to grab someone and choke them, you know, like find the culprit and do it. I think that is a fairly natural human reaction but that's actually the problem. Because natural human reactions have not served us well as a human race. Our natural feelings, our natural propensities, our natural allegiances, our determination to polarise quickly to an issue has never served us well. It has always created insiders and outsiders. And I'm not sure God sees the human race that way. It's natural enough to to think it. And by the way, I think we raised here from here uh, well over $12,000 to get that guy and his wife and his child through surgery because they basically bandaged their wounds, they're full of shrapnel and sent them home for three days before they could have an operation. And it was like they're going to be dead if you do that. So thank you, church, because we did that in one weekend and then more came in after that, but we were able to actually get those guys the, the immediate medical help that they needed and they're all recovering really, really well. Um, but you know what I'm saying, don't you? Because you've felt it. The things that really steam you, really, and you tend to react and polarise very, very quickly. And, um, and it's just human. But it's funny how we do that whether, without questioning whether it's the God thing to do. You know, the old question, what would Jesus do? Yeah. It's really inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. When you're angry, that's a really inconvenient question to ask yourself. Because Jesus rarely would respond the way that we often tend to want to. Um, and even to this day, when I see their face on missions media, I, something happens in my stomach. And I have to quench feelings of resentment that lean towards hatred that's driven by fear. Because that's just the natural human response to those things. In Mark chapter 2, verse 16, it says, and there's a story here, It says, when the scribes and Pharisees, and they're the the religious leaders of their day, when when they saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners, this is Mark 2.16, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? 
So they saw Jesus eating with who they considered to be outsiders, which actually betrays their thoughts. They considered themselves as insiders and therefore more worthy of his attention. They had the scripture, they had the, you know, the law, the prophets. Uh, Paul talks about in the book of Romans, they, they literally held the oracles of God. God speaking to humanity and so that's how they felt about themselves. We are the special ones, we're the insiders, we have the corner on the market of God or a corner of the market on God, so to speak. They were on the, as on the inner as anyone could be when it came to the things of God. So what a terrible feeling to realise someone you thought was an outsider is actually considered an insider by God. And that the way you're thinking has actually made you an outsider with God. You know, they're thinking, hang on, hang on. We're insiders and you're saying the preacher doesn't want to spend the time with us. Jesus never apologised about mission and neither should we. Uh, I, I just think it's interesting. The doctor doesn't need you, he's more interested in his patients, Jesus would go on to say. And sort of almost comical because like they're trapped, they're, they've got their insider thinking they're the, they're the horrible people outside and we're the people on the inside with God and here is God in the flesh saying, actually, I'd rather spend the time with them, thank you. And it's, we've got to be so careful that we don't look back and go, yes, well, we just know those poor, pathetic religious teachers of the law. We've got to be careful. Whenever we look at Scripture, we see ourselves there. How often is that us? The moment we allow our feelings and our decisions and what we articulate and, and the, uh, the stand that we take, the moment we allow that to be driven by anything else, then the Spirit of God, we risk batting for the wrong team. Yeah. Do you know what that is? Have you ever, have you ever got to a point where you, 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 you realised, hang on a sec, I'm batting for the wrong team? In life, I've got this wrong. I've got this backwards. I remember my uh, first real game of football. I think it was grade three, played for Holy Name. I call it my first real game of football because I had a jersey, you know. And uh, back then we played barefoot, you know, and, and whatnot. And, uh, and I remember playing in a jersey and I remember getting that ball and thinking no one is going to tackle me. And so I went for it. And people were chasing me and I was outrunning them all. All my teammates were screaming at me. I'm not, I wasn't sure why uh, until I think someone did an own tackle and tackled one of my teammates tackled me about a metre off our own try line. You know, I wasn't going to be tackled. I was determined to win the game, but I was running in the wrong direction. And how often we find us, that's all the Pharisees were doing. They thought they were running the ball. And they're actually running in the wrong direction. Uh, the next verse, verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, totally undeterred by what they said. There, there's this accusation. How dare you spend time with the outsiders, with the, with the dirty? 
And uh, Jesus simply said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, He didn't come to call the righteous, didn't come to, I guess, gather the righteous, didn't come to acknowledge that the insiders were inside. That was not Jesus' mission. Uh, Jesus acknowledged that they existed, but they weren't his focus. So it's okay to be focused on mission, as I said. It's okay to focus on the unwell, because Jesus did. So I want to speak to us just for a few minutes about insiders and outsiders. Insiders and outsiders. You know, tribalism is like a recognised sociological thing with humans. Tribalism. This desire to get together, to, to bind together. And uh, it goes, apparently, by, by sociolo- sociologists, they talk about it, goes right back to, to very, very primitive times with the need to band together, to protect one another, to work, to build things, to forage, to hunt, to provide food for the table. Tribalism is this, this need to bond together, to, to identify. And if you're in, then you're safe. And if you're out, then you're vulnerable. Uh, there's a new thing, a new tribalism called moral tribalism is something that's recognised now and and we are so familiar with it. I spoke into it last week. Uh, That's the latest expression really of tribalism even though it has very little to do with authentic morals. It it has to do with trying to claim the moral high ground in an argument which then invalidates argument full stop. Uh, we, we have the moral high ground and so you should just shut up. And of course, that's where we're tempted to spring into the debate. And we need to, but we need to allow gifted, articulate people to do it. That was the point of last week's message. You know, the New Testament is so countercultural, so countertribal, it's unbelievable. Um, because again, that's a sociological fact. Humans want to do it. It's probably why we, we come to New Hope in one sense. We've identified with the tribe on a certain level. Galatians chapter 2 verse 28. I'm just going to read two passages from two of Paul's uh, letters. And he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, uh, uh, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. And just just so you know, he he talks about Jew and Greek. There's there's no uh, divide along those cultural religious lines, which was a big deal for the church because you had all these people that were not Jewish background coming into what was initially a Jewish church. And they were eating all kinds of things that Jews had grown up going, you can't please God if you eat that. That was actually the issue. And Paul's addressing it, going, listen, once you get in Christ, we're not, we're not talking about our religious history, we're talking about the new thing God is doing. We're not talking about our you know, preconceived ideas. We're talking about current revelation. Neither slave nor free. That was a massive delineation in the ancient world. Whether you're a slave or whether you're a free man. 
Uh, male and female was a massive, we looked at it and digging deeper a little bit this week, but it was a massive division in the ancient world. Women were possessions. And so this is some of the most powerful, uh, emancipating scripture for women uh, in the New Testament. Paul's just knocking down all the walls, insiders, outsiders. No, in Christ, you will be one. And then he, he moves on, he, he, re, he reiterates some of that in Colossians. He also mentions ethnic lines. There's neither barbarian nor Scythian. There's neither the uncultured or the cultured. You know, the people that are, there's neither snobs nor nobodies. You're all one in Christ. And so the New Testament attacks that very thought of our tribalizing and identifying for protection. It attacks it and says, you've got to break down the walls because that's what Jesus came to do, to bring all things together. The book of Colossians goes on all things together in Christ to, to bring what this world has fragmented to bring it back together. That's what Jesus is wanting to do and wanting to do through the church. If you look at those lists, they are all, they are the big divisions of the first century. That's what Paul's addressing. But society still creates subgroups, doesn't it? We're really good at it. Um, so, you know, for example, we've got the secular and the faith community and that has become more apparent as Australia has swung towards the secular. It's just become more apparent and in recent days has become, you know, very, very visible. Uh, and that's why I spoke into the whole, you know, the social media thing last week. Uh, it's not always helpful, helpful to debate doctrine in public especially doctrine that was never given in public. Paul did not have an Instagram account and would be horrified that some of his instructions to church leaders are put out into the secular marketplace. And it's not that Paul would apologise for it, but he was speaking to people that had the spirit of God inside them to be able to work this out. So when we, when we push out into public space like that, and draw battle lines and do it clumsily, we actually create a larger divide. We actually create, you know, not just outsiders in our mind, but now it's very, very public and it adds fuel to the fire, especially for those who don't want to be insiders. I mean, I didn't want to be an insider when I first heard about Jesus. I ran as fast as I could in the other direction. So creating more gaps on that pathway doesn't really help us. And we have all these gaps. We have the them and us. The whole them and us in our society, if we look along even just ethnic lines and refugee crises and asylum seekers, etc., that has really fueled that feeling, that debate. Some people even here probably struggle with sending money overseas. Well, as a society, we should look after our own first. And yes, we should. 
And that's why we do community care. That's why we do Western outreach. That's why we respond to national crises like floods. And that's why we do that stuff. But listen, God has a bigger view of the world. He didn't come for the insiders. Insiders is a human construct. If we're honest, sometimes we really struggle with that. Come on, are we being honest? Can we be honest? God, if we can't be honest in church, where can we be honest? But we do struggle with that stuff. We do tend to fear people whose culture we don't understand. We do tend to wonder what's happening into our community. Um, well, actually, the world's happening to our community. It's all homogenizing everywhere. Sexuality is another one of these divides of course huge division huge polarization in society gay straight or somewhere in between whatever that is and without delving into possible root causes of identity confusion and who's right and who's wrong and all the rest you know when god looks at that whole debate and looks at that whole thing you know what god sees god sees people That's what he sees. He sees people. And often people are the grist for the mill of the argument. Like I spoke about last night, it's not wise to summarise someone's life. It's not fair to summarise. It's not accurate to summarise someone's whole life journey with a few pixels on a screen. That is just so shallow. God sees people. Everyone needs Jesus. It's that simple. And the quicker that we, if I could say that, the church, stop treating the gay community as some special subgroup among sinners, then maybe the more open that community will be to the gospel. And the question is, how open are we really? Uh, not to compromising scripture or convictions, but the way we see people. As a matter of fact, the question I wrote down was, do we even see people sometimes? Because sometimes it's hard to see people beyond the issue that you're confronting, whatever that issue is. Whether it's immigration, whether it's the whole sexual debate, whatever it is. And sometimes we're so good when someone presents with their argument and they're, they're holding their placard and you want to hit the issue. They're holding their issue up and you want to hit the issue. Sometimes unthinkingly, we punch the issue and don't realise that we're actually punching the person holding it at the same time. Yeah. Hey, I'm not happy with, with social shifts. I'm not. I'm just trying to find a way of reaching the ones that are considered outside by the church because I'm not convinced they're considered outside by Jesus haves and have nots the haves and the have nots you know if you can't mix because you feel people are beneath you I mean you've got to let's face it some people wear their rat's tail like a flag but if that's a problem for you then you've really got a problem because you've identified them as an outsider which 
which means you think you're an insider and you just got to be careful you don't find yourself batting for the wrong team there. Or, on the other hand, because uh, if, you, if you struggle to mix because you think others consider themselves to be above you, I'd say that that smallness is coming from within you more than something that they're putting on you. Both groups are a reflection of tribal thinking. Whereas scripture says favoritism is not God's thing. James chapter 2 verse 4 and 5 addresses this really well. James says uh, just one portion of the scripture. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So, you know, if you, if you don't have a lot, uh, actually, sorry, that's the second part of the verse. First part of the verse is show part, if you've shown partiality because someone's got more money, then you've become judges with evil thoughts. So don't segregate yourself from those with less. That's what James is instructing. And then he goes on for those who don't have a lot. And he's basically saying, don't you realize God's chosen you to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. So don't think less of yourself because you have less. Your value is not, or your value is in who values you, not what you do or what you don't possess. It's scary that it's actually possible to believe that you're on the right track and at the same time being way off the mark. But there's nothing new. It happens when we trust our own feelings. It tr- happens when we trust our own thinking that's driven by our feelings, our fears, our prejudices, and not by scripture and the spirit of God. That's where we end up. Paul is a great example of this before his conversion. You know, literally, Scripture says that Paul, on his way to persecute the church, breathing out hateful threats, he's that mad, he's overflowing as he's bubbling down the road, thinking he was doing God a favour. That's what he says later on of his own conversion experience. He says, I was thinking I was doing God a favour while he was killing God's people. Wow. And we can end up there. Maybe not killing people, literally, but you can kill with the word. You know that? Uh, And you do know that we will be accountable for every idle word we speak. Jesus himself said that. Um, So I, I just think we need to be careful and measured and build bridges And realise that some people that we like to think are outside are actually inside when it comes to the scope of Jesus' mission. They might not be in the kingdom yet, but they're well within the scope of his mission. And if they're in the scope of his mission, they're in the scope of ours. Are you doing okay? You doing okay? (laughs) Really? Seriously? You're doing okay? Okay, good. Okay, I'm nearly finished, but I've got to ask us some questions because we've got to apply this. I'm not saying change convictions, believe something different. I'm not saying that your... Uh, what I am saying, sorry, is that your, if your beliefs, if your beliefs force you to burn a bridge with those you call to reach, you've missed the whole point. The fact is church exists for those who aren't in her yet. 
or who may never be in her. In God's eyes, the insiders exist for the outsiders. If you're going to be like Jesus, that is. What do you mean? The church isn't here for me? Actually, no. You're here for God. Because you died, if you're a Christian, you died and you've got a new life. Thanks to Jesus. Jesus said if you lose your life, you'll actually find it. So we'll do our best to care and to be there and, and, you know, we'll we'll try and do good pastoral things. But ultimately, we've got to understand this is not about me. This is not about my fears. This is not about my prejudices. This is not about the tribe I feel most comfortable identifying with. The only one you can really identify with and get the mind of God is Christ himself. That's why we say Jesus is Lord. It's not a simple phrase at all. (laughs) We can say that really easy. Jesus is Lord. We can say that really easy. But it actually translates into a world of pain. If you really want to make Jesus Lord over your feelings, over your fears, over your prejudices. George Bernard Shaw said this, God created man in his image and then we returned the favour. In other words, we made God in our image, in our own minds. We think God thinks like us and acts like us, or that he should. If God was right, he'd think like I do. Here's some questions for us. Where have I projected my discriminations onto God? And I use these terms carefully because they've been abused, misused and relabeled all over the place in our society. But let's actually talk honestly about discriminations. Where have I projected my own discriminations through my own fears, through my own discomfort, through my own offence with what other people might do or think? Where have I projected those discriminations onto God? And in my mind, I think that they're his too. In other words, thinking God needs to think the way that I do. If I consider myself an insider, then who do I consider an outsider? Just spend a moment thinking about that. Like, who do I consider an outsider if I feel like I'm an insider? And then the next question follows on, and that is, do you think God sees them that way? If you see them that way, do you think God sees them that way? Another question. Would I still be happy to follow God if I had to accept that he thinks differently than I do? That his, his ways are different to mine, his thoughts are higher than mine. That that's really a fact, that I really struggle in my humanity to line my thinking up with the, with the divine, with, with God. Would I still follow him if I thought he thought so differently from me? Another question, am I prepared to surrender my preconceived ideas about others, whether that's ethnicity, gender, social standing, and yes, even sexual preference, to see them the way Jesus sees them? 
to see people, not issues. To see people. As I said last week, this is building on last week. If you are called to the public arena to articulate and you research and you articulate and you're sharp and you're clever, then more power to you. We need you to speak. But for the average guy in the pew, you know, you might play awesome football. You might run a fantastic business. But you might not be called to comment in the public arena yeah. in a way that burns bridges and creates divides rather than builds bridges and actually reflects the heart of love that God has for all people, no matter how distressed, no matter how far from him they might be, no matter even how wicked or evil they might be. I've got no right to, the, you know, it's the old quandary, isn't it? I wanted to kill someone when I heard friends had been blown up. I think that's a reasonable response. But of course, that really just makes me like the perpetrator, doesn't it? And that is the quandary. Can I encourage us? Let's stop and just think about our lives. Come on. Insiders, outsiders, can I see everyone? within the scope of Jesus' mission? And can I then speak about them that way? Birds of a feather do flock together. That's tribalism. But that doesn't mean mean that they should to the exclusion of others. Imagine if we saw people who we'd normally consider outsiders as the very ones we're meant to be having the conversations with. The very ones we're meant to be building the bridges with. You know, Paul said, I've become all things to all men. You know what that meant for Paul? That meant as a first century Jew. Not only not sticking to his kosher diet, but actually being prepared to eat meat that was sacrificed to the idols and other gods. And he even instructed the church to do it as long as someone didn't try and push their religion on you. He said, if you go and you eat in an unbeliever's house and they offer you food, don't ask questions. Just eat with thanksgiving. Now, if they tell you this food's been sacrificed to an idol, in other words, they're trying to move you into their their way of thinking, then kindly decline. Don't eat. Don't partake in that when it's... But if you can stay ignorant, do it. And I'm sort of thinking it's a little bit like he's saying, where at all possible, just give people the benefit of the doubt. Keep eating. Keep the fellowship going. Stay in their world. Jesus put it this way, be salt and light wherever you can be. Now, if they want to make the division, well, then maybe you're not welcome any longer, but don't let it come from you. Don't let food and practice or don't let the external things rob you from touching the eternal need that is there. Awesome, I'm finished. I hope you're doing okay. But I'd like to pray for us. I think I should pray for us. You know, and this is so relevant in our community. So many people are struggling with, man, how do I respond? How do I... I just say respond really carefully. 
especially if you're going to do it in broadcast media, especially if you're going to do it in a way that will never be forgotten and will forever remain on the internet or on someone's phone screen or something. Just think really hard and ask, what would Jesus do? Awesome. Let's stand. Let's stand. Thank you, Father. Well, Lord, we're trying to negotiate interesting times as your people. And these issues are issues that affect us all and they're affecting our children, the next generation. They're things that we need to get right and, uh, and we need to do well. And so, Father, I pray for every person here. I pray for us all as a collective, myself included. I just pray for wisdom. I pray that your word and your spirit would have the final say when it comes to to us feeling like we have the right to express ourselves I pray that you would be the final filter and Father I pray for some of us that this has been freeing this morning Uh, not only our, our sometimes we feel the need that you know a real Christian would get angry about this or or maybe we've even burnt bridges and we're wondering we feel guilty because we we want to build a bridge but we don't feel that we can I just pray that this would bring permission to people that it's, it's okay that people that that really the religious set of Jesus day people that they considered as outsiders Jesus you considered as well within the scope of your mission and help us with that help us to juggle that paradox in our lives in our families with our kids father i pray particularly for parents that you would give them wisdom father wisdom father to negotiate scripture and conviction while keeping bridges open to those that we need to reach in jesus name amen just while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed you know i've just talked about inners and outers and often um we get confused about who's on the inside, who's on the outside with God. And, uh, and, and often it's just considered, well, if you go to church, maybe you're on the inner. And if you don't, maybe you're not. Uh, I think it's far more of a heart issue than that. All God is ever looking for is someone was open. Jesus went to those who were on the outer simply because their hearts were open to him. And all through scripture, you see Jesus with people that you wouldn't think a good church person be, would be with and he went because their hearts were open and maybe you're here today you've been on a bit of a journey you know you've never really opened your heart to Jesus but you would say it's open today and there's an appropriate response for you this morning that is to place your faith in Jesus Christ he loves you his heart's open towards you the question is is your heart open towards him and so just in this last moment I want to uh, give people an opportunity. If you're here today and you've, you've never connected your life to the life of God, I want to give you that opportunity. Uh, we put a simple prayer up on the screen every service and we're going to pray it in a few moments all together. So I'm not going to embarrass anyone or single anyone out. Um, it's a prayer of commitment and dedication to Christ. But while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, please. If you're in this place and it's like, Chris, I think today I'm ready to open my heart and connect my heart to the life of God. Connect my life to the life of God. 
if that's you in this place, would, would you just take a step of faith, raise your hand. I want to see it. I want to acknowledge it. And then I want to know who I'm praying with. That is awesome. You can put it down again. Awesome. Others in this place, just give you a moment. I, I won't prolong it. won't make anyone feel, feel awkward. But just in this moment, if that's you and, and you're like, I just know today I need to connect my life to the life of God. So there's someone else here today just before I close. Just looking across one more time. Fantastic. That's so wonderful. So wonderful. Okay, well, we're going to pray this together. And uh, if you responded, uh, that is awesome, by the way. That is the best decision you could ever make. So we should really encourage that, that person who's responded in that way. And, and maybe even if you didn't get to that point, but in your heart, you know, God is actually doing something, that, that God is real and he's doing something then I just invite you to make this prayer your own as we pray it. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I'll follow you. Amen. Amen. That is fantastic. Well, uh, James is going to come and let you know if you've made that decision, what you can do next. For the rest of us, you know, God bless you as you negotiate this stuff. Because it is not easy to negotiate. I'm not saying it is, but I am saying we do need a Jesus worldview to do it properly. Amen.